Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, here we are, Holy Week. I mean, we call it Holy Week because it really is the holiest week in our Christian calendar. It begins today with Palm Sunday. Then we got Holy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, all in preparation for next Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. Now, because it's Holy Week, we, we set it aside. I mean, it's a different kind of week. Yeah, I know every week right now is a different kind of week, but this is our Holy Week. And so what we're going to do is have Holy Week in the upper room. Eric and I are going to lead that. Eric Stark, who's sitting over there more than six feet away. He's about, I don't know, 12 feet away. Uh, But we're going to be in the upper room live, noon and 6 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all of Holy Week. We're going to be live from the upper room, noon and 6 it's going to be, uh, there'll be prayer, there'll be some worship, that's, you know, Eric's going to be there, do a couple of songs, and then I will be leading you through, what I want to do is I want to lead you deep into the Paschal mystery, and we will explore the meaning of Jesus cleansing the temple, of his Olivet Discourse, of the anointing of Jesus in Bethany. We'll explore the meaning of the Last Supper, the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the drama of Good Friday and the solemnity of Holy Saturday, all in preparation for next Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. All right, so that's what's coming up, but today's Palm Sunday, and so um, I love Palm Sunday. I, I, I've always loved Palm Sunday. I love the, you know, having the palms and shouting Hosanna, and I just, I love that. It's my second favorite Sunday of the year. Of course, Easter's the favorite, but I love Palm Sunday. And I, and I miss that we're not here. I miss that I don't see, you know, the palms waving. And I don't see you. I don't hear you shouting Hosanna. Um, so it's a difficult time. It's a different time. But uh, I've got a good word for you. I've got a Palm Sunday promise. On Palm Sunday, we, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. You know, the whole gospel story has been waiting for this moment, for the king to come. That's, you know, the the gospel is the story of a king. And when Jesus was born, the angel said to the shepherds, behold, I bring you, he says, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. So at his birth, the announcement was made that the king was born. That's why the Magi come bearing their gifts. They come to pay homage to the king of the Jews. But when will the king come? Well, we have to wait. We have to wait for the king to finally come. Well, on Palm Sunday, the Messiah finally arrives, the king finally arrives, the saving king, this king that's going to liberate, finally arrives in the capital city, the royal city of Jerusalem, to be crowned king. But between his birth 
and his arrival, I mean, there's a lot of time. Uh, in the church calendar, it's over three months. In the life of Jesus, it's well over 30 years. Uh, but in the history of Israel, well, that's a long time indeed. I mean, from David to the king from the house of David that is the true, true son of David, it's a thousand years. People experience, you know, waiting and the passage of time and in different ways. Uh, thinking about the Super Bowl, you know, remember that? <laughs> I haven't forgotten. And uh, I have a nine-year-old grandson, Jude, and he's, he's all into the sports and he's a big Chiefs fan and he's been watching the games with me the last two or three seasons and now it's the Super Bowl. And he's coming over and he's texting me. He's nine years old, but he's texting, all right? He's texting me. And he says, we're on our way. We're almost there. I mean, they live five minutes away, but we're, we're coming. My dad's got chicken wings. I can't wait. I've been waiting a long time for this. I texted back, I've been waiting 50 years. <laughs> well, Jude had been waiting all of his life. I'd been waiting 50 years. There's something about waiting and waiting and waiting. Israel's been waiting a thousand years. So before we tell the story of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, I want to back up, not just to his birth. I want to back up 500 years to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The weapons of war will be broken. And he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, this prophetic poem of Zechariah was written during the exile. What does that mean? It means that it was during a period of time when the people of God could not gather in their holy place. They could not gather in their temple. In fact, the temple had been destroyed and they've been carried off into exile in Babylon. They can't come to church like they've been coming to church. We'll say it that way. So this is a prophetic poem written by Zechariah during the exile. They have no king. There is no king. The last king of Judah was Zedekiah. He's in the line of David from, you start, you know, Solomon, there's kind of a false start. And then you have the house of David. And the promise is that, you know, the house of David will be whom God will work through to bring blessings to the earth. And there's 22 kings, 22 kings over around 500 years or so in the, uh, in the line of David. And then you get to Zedekiah. That's the end. Um, while Zedekiah was king, he was king for 11 years. Um, that's when the Babylonians came. That's when the invasion happened. And there was a siege of the city of Jerusalem. And there was famine. And at one point, the king, Zedekiah, and his sons and some of the palace guard are able to escape by night. And they think they're going to get away. They think they're going to escape. But no, the Babylonian troops capture Zedekiah near Jericho. And... His sons are put to death before his eyes and then they gouged out his eyes, put him in chains 
and carried him off to Babylon where he died in captivity. There is no king of Judah when Zechariah writes this poem. They have no king. But the prophet Zechariah envisions a day when the king will come. That someday the king is going to come back to Jerusalem. And he writes a poem. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king. They don't have a king. Last king was Zedekiah. By the time he writes this, Zedekiah has been dead for 80 years. It's been a long time. Behold, your king is coming to you, triumphant and victorious. As he's going he's to come in triumph. He's not going to be the last king left with his eyes gouged out and bound in chains. But now a king is going to come back. And he's going to be triumphant and he's going to be victorious. But he's also going to be humble. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, he will take away the chariot from Ephraim. He will take away the war horse from Jerusalem. See, he's not going to be like all those other kings. You got those kings, you know, you know, there's always some dude on a horse. The kings of Babylon, the kings of Persia, the kings of Greece, the kings of Rome. He won't be like those kings. He's going to be victorious and triumphant, but he's going to be humble. And he's not going to ride a war horse. He's going to ride a little donkey. He's going to come peaceably. And he's going to come and it's, what's he going to do? He's going to, he's, going to get, he's going to get rid of the weapons of war. The swords will become plowshares and the spears will become pruning hooks. And he will command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is going to be a kingdom that is not going to just stay in Jerusalem. It's going to cover the whole earth. But it's just a poem, right? And there's a long wait from the time the poet brings forth this word about rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. It's one century, two centuries, three centuries, four centuries, five centuries. But then one night, an angel, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Christ the King, the Lord, the Messianic King has been born in the house of David because has, he has to come from the house of David. But still we're waiting. And then by the time he's about 30, he starts preaching in Galilee. And the rumors are spreading. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the coming king. Oh, there was a king. There was a king. There was Herod. He wasn't from the house of David. How did he become king? The Roman Senate appointed him king. This, this, no, this is not Zachariah's coming king. And people know that. It's not King Herod. But there's rumors that in Galilee there's one. There's one. Of course, you know, you can't be king in Galilee. You got to be king in Jerusalem. And so at last, he's making his way to Jerusalem to become king, to be recognized as king, to be heralded as king, to usher in this thing that Zechariah spoke of, that he will extend the reign of the kingdom of Yahweh to the ends of the earth. This king is coming, and he's coming at Passover week. 
Passover. What is Passover? Passover is Israel's annual festival of liberation, remembering the Exodus. When God liberated the Hebrew people who were slaves in Egypt and brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. The Passover is the annual celebration of Israel's liberation. Of course, that means, that means the Roman governor has to be in town. Pontius Pilate, he's, he's the guy in charge, right? He represents Caesar. He lives in Caesar City or Caesarea by the sea in one of the Herodian mansions, but he can't be there during Passover week because of fear of uprising. I mean, just think, if the United States was occupied by a foreign military power, when might there be social unrest and uprisings on the 4th of July, see? And this is like their 4th of July, so, so Pilate's gotta be in town. And he comes, since he's coming from Caesarea, he enters Jerusalem from the west, riding on a war horse, haughty and arrogant, the Roman Empire, and he's got about a thousand soldiers with him. It's a military parade. They're coming into the city in a show of force to intimidate any would-be troublemakers. Meanwhile, at the same time, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, but he's coming from Galilee down to Jericho. Now he's coming up from Jericho. means he's coming in from the east. He's coming in from the other side. He's got a parade too, but... Those that are with him are not armed with swords, they're armed with palms. And they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. But Jesus is not riding a war horse. No, no, he's fulfilling the prophecy. He rides a donkey and not even a full-grown donkey. A little donkey so that his feet are dragging. It's, it's a mockery in one sense of the military parades of the nations of the Gentiles. So we have two parades. They're coming in at the same time from opposite ways. They are two parades. One is a military parade. One is a peace parade. One is led by Pontius Pilate. One is led by Jesus of Nazareth. And even to this day, we have to decide which parade we're gonna march in. Last month, I was in Jerusalem and twice, I walked the route of the triumphal entry. I've done it dozens of times. And it never fails to move me because it's, you know, we know the route. We know how Jesus came up over the Mount of Olives and then down into the Kidron Valley and then up into the city. I, I love that walk. And I was taking a group of people with me and along the way we stopped at Dominus Flavit. That's Latin for the Lord wept. There's a church there, that's a new church. It was built in 1955 by the Franciscans, but there's been a church there since the seventh century. And this is to commemorate the place where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. I always stop there and, and pray. And uh, Perry mentioned it earlier. Palm Sunday is conflicting. There's the joy of the Hosanna, but Jesus is also weeping. Uh, we're headed for Easter, but between now and Easter, we're gonna run into Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And Jesus is weeping over the city. The people are shouting, Hosanna, save now, amen. Yes, the king has come to save, but how is he going to save? How? Well, that's the story of Passion Week. And so I won't, 
I won't rush through it now. We'll wait and take it day by day in the upper room at noon and 6 p.m. We'll see, well, yes, the king has come, Hosanna. He's come to save. He's come to save now. But how? How's he going to do it? How does it happen? Well, that's the story that unfolds in the Paschal mystery that we will tell during this holy week. Let me go back now to our opening text. This ancient poem, 500 years before Christ, by Zechariah, written when the people had no king and they're in exile. They can't gather in their holy place and worship as they had. They're in exile. They're quarantined in Babylon. They can't come to Jerusalem. And there is no king. But the poet prophet envisions a day when Israel's king will be restored and he will come. And he says this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. That's, that's how their salvation is going to come. It's going to come from a king that will save them. Triumphant and victorious is he. Zedekiah had been dragged off and chained with his eyes gouged out. This one is going to come in triumph and in victory. But he's also going to be humble riding on a donkey, not riding on a war horse, because that leads to trouble, right? He's humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. He will take away the chariot from Ephraim. Those are weapons of war, you understand. And the war horse from Jerusalem. The weapons of war will be broken and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now that's what we read on Palm Sunday to set up, you know, telling the story of Jesus' triumphal entry coming up over the Mount of Olives and the Hosannas and the Palms and all of that. But that's not where Zechariah's poem ends. I mean, it keeps going. So I want to read the next two verses because it's here that we're going to find a Palm Sunday promise. I said I want to bring you a Palm Sunday promise. We're going to find it in these next two verses. So the poem continues. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. That is a cistern that has been turned into a dungeon. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare to you that I will restore double to you. And so this week, you know, I knew what I would preach on. It's Palm Sunday. I'm going to preach on the triumphal entry. Probably going to start in Zechariah. That's what I do. But, you know, it's a different Palm Sunday. And I just thought, I, I really need a word of comfort for people because people need a word right now. And as I, as I prayed about it, I just noticed that, you know, we always read Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. And then I noticed 10 and 11. Um, I was drawn especially, yeah, 11 and 12. I was drawn especially to verse 12 in Zechariah's Palm Sunday prophecy. I want, I want to read it to you again. It'll be on the screen, but this time in a different translation. Return to your shelter of safety, you prisoners who still have hope. This very day, I promise, I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Wow. For quarantined Christians and shelter-in-place saints, that verse, that translation has a 
particular resonance, don't you think? Uh, return to your shelter of safety. You prisoners who still have hope. This very day, I promise, I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Well, in, in this present crisis, allow me to paraphrase. Shelter in place as a prisoner holding on to hope. This very day, I promise, I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. There's a Palm Sunday promise. Shelter in place as a prisoner holding on to hope. You haven't lost hope. Hold on to hope. This very day I promise, says the Lord, I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Well, we may be sheltering in place or we may be on the front lines of essential work. We may feel like prisoners or we may feel imperiled. But we hold on to hope. We hold on to hope. Don't let go of hope. We hope for an end to this pandemic. It will come. We hope for better days to come again. They will come again. But most of all, we hope in God. We hope to see God at work in the midst of our trouble. Trouble has come, but now we're looking for God in the midst of our trouble. In the midst of our very real troubles, not denying their reality. In the midst of our very real troubles, we're still looking for what will God do? How will God bless? How will God help? How will God save? Well, this is what it means for us to be a people of faith. It means that we look for God in times of trouble. Faith doesn't mean avoiding trouble. Faith doesn't mean de denying trouble. Faith doesn't mean that we can wish our troubles away. Faith means that even in the midst of our troubles, we believe that we are not forsaken, that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us, who has come to us, victorious and triumphant, but also meek and humble. He comes to us. But we might say, well, I know, but how? How can God repay us blessings for our troubles, trouble as terrible as this? Well, this is what God does. This is, this is what God does. God is able. If, if you were here in this building, I would say, say with me, God is able. <laughs> do I get any amens? I wonder. I don't know. I, I hope I do. Maybe you can type them in or something if you're on Facebook. Type me in an amen. Uh, God is able. That's, that's, that's a great word to hold on there. God is able to do what? God is able to cause all things to work together for good. God is able to cause. God doesn't cause all things. God did not cause coronavirus. God did not cause coronavirus. Every good gift, every perfect thing comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. God is not judging, cursing, condemning, bringing a plague on. No, God, God doesn't cause all things. That's, that's part of the reality of being hurled into radical freedom. The vagaries of viruses and th those things happen. But in the midst of it, see, see, God allows all to happen because that's part of authentic being. But God doesn't forsake us. And God is able, God is able, God is able to do what? To cause all things to work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's 
That's the promise of Romans 8, 28. That's also the Palm Sunday promise found in Zechariah that the Lord says, I declare to you that I will restore double to you. God doesn't cause all things, but God can cause all things to work together for good and God can redeem all things. So we're praying that the Holy Spirit will help us to be attentive today and in the days and weeks and months to come, how we can recognize that through, in, somehow in the midst of the trouble, God began to work some things together for good in our lives. Because God is able to take the disturbing threads of trouble and tragedy and weave them into a tapestry of grace. God doesn't bring all of these troubling threads. God doesn't bring them, but God can still take them and weave them together in such a way that in the end it forms a tapestry of grace. Amen and amen.